Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. All right, the rest of you, please open your Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we do have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those, and we'll be looking at a verse in Proverbs 15 this morning. Proverbs 15. Um, We're in a sermon series here, as most of you know, called Route 66. We're going through the Bible, one sermon per Bible book, from Genesis to Revelation. There's 66 books in the Bible. That's why we call this Route 66, if you didn't know. And um, we have recently been through the historical books, Kings and Chronicles and Ruth and Esther, and we have recently transitioned into the what are called wisdom books. Job, last week's Psalms, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And today, the wisdom book that we're going to be looking at is the book of Proverbs. Now, that's probably the book that comes to mind immediately when you think about a wisdom book, because that's what Proverbs is. It's just a collection of sayings, wise sayings to God's people about how we can live in this world in a way that honors Him. You might recall that we did a sermon series on Proverbs back in 2017. Um, So I I just want to very quickly review with you a few things that we heard uh, during that sermon series uh, about wisdom in particular. You might ask the question, what is wisdom? And here is a very brief definition of wisdom. It's skill in the art of godly living. That's what it is to be wise, is to have skill in the art of godly living. Proverbs are not given to us as Law, we wouldn't call them law or commands. Proverbs are given to us kind of like God's way of giving gracious assistance to confused and messed up people. That would be the way to describe Proverbs. Proverbs are very, very helpful when we get you know, on the ground in those daily lifetime situations where life is complex and decisions about what to do are ambiguous. We don't really know how to proceed Things are a little more gray, and so God gives us these proverbs to give wisdom to us so that we will be skilled in the art of godly living. So wisdom is not the same as knowledge. That was a point that was made in the series quite frequently. Knowledge is facts and information that we get in our head, but wisdom is how to use the facts and information that are in your head. So those are two different things. An example that's often given is Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. Knowledge and wisdom, very distinct difference. So let's take a look at some of the background information about the book of Proverbs. Solomon, David's son, is the one who wrote most of the Proverbs. There are some other authors of the Proverbs, uh, but mostly written by Solomon, written during Solomon's lifetime, of course, in the 900s B.C. Um, Significant events, I'm saying no, because the Proverbs are not describing to us historical events. They are, again, a collection of Proverbs, short, pithy, interesting phrases giving wisdom to us. Uh, Themes would include a number of themes. Wisdom, of course, is the primary theme, but more specifically, wisdom in how to deal with money, Humility, pride, work, laziness, friendship, anger, how to deal with our emotions. And 
a topic that comes up frequently in Proverbs is how to use our words. A wise way to use speech. That comes up repeatedly. I didn't do a count, but uh, in terms of the number of Proverbs that deal with speech, that has to be close to the top in terms of the topic that is most frequently dealt with in this book. Now, in our culture that we live in right now, year 2019, we have a unique opportunity to use words. <laughs> because we have this thing called social media. <laughs> and social media allows us to communicate in more ways than ever before in history. And so social media would include platforms like Facebook and, and Twitter, which, um, you know, has a lot of advantages to them. I mean, Facebook is a really great way to get connected with people, maybe people you haven't known in a long, long time. Facebook is a, a good way to be exposed to ideas that you might not be familiar with. I think it's a good way to kind of work out ideas with others who might not think like you do. Facebook, Twitter, social media, I think, provides a great opportunity to proclaim the gospel in ways that are unprecedented. So there are a lot of advantages to social media, and yet at the same time, we know that Facebook and Twitter have kind of become famous, or maybe I should say infamous, as a venue for arguing, a venue for tangling with people of different persuasions on subjects like politics and religion and economics and even sports and, and music. And it's just got this reputation as a place where people do battle with each other. And one of the downsides to these social media platforms is that they seem to encourage people to say certain things with their fingers that they wouldn't say with their tongues if they were sitting face to face with somebody. And as a result of that, things have happened that aren't so good. Friendships have been damaged. A climate of suspicion about others has replaced a climate of trust, even about brothers and sisters in Christ. People have left churches, quite sure, because of disputes that have happened on social media. And so it's something that we should deal with. It's something that we should think about. And here's an amazing thing. These Proverbs written 3,000 years ago are going to give us wisdom for how to function on social media in the year 2019. I mean, what a testimony to the enduring relevance of the scriptures. Now, I know some of you might be saying, I'm going to tune out right now because I'm not on social media. I don't use Facebook and I don't use Twitter. And I know that describes probably a large number of you. Uh, I, I'm told that older people in particular, but even younger people aren't on Facebook and Twitter quite so much as maybe Instagram and other platforms. But nonetheless, there are a lot of people on Facebook, 2.2 billion registered users on Facebook. I mean, that's many times larger than the population of the United States of America, 2.2 billion people. But in any case, the principles that we're going to talk about here today, the wisdom that we're going to seek to glean from the book of Proverbs are transferable to all kinds of relationships, whether you're on social media or not. I mean, these are very helpful things for how you communicate with your spouse and how you communicate with your coworkers and how you communicate with your friends and your brothers and your sisters. Um, these are 
nuggets of wisdom to help us communicate well, to help us avoid misunderstanding, to help us build up and not tear down, and quite frankly, to help us avoid acting like fools with the words that we use. And that's what we see repeatedly in the Proverbs, this mention of the fool, and that's mentioned here in this one verse. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. It's just one verse, Proverbs 15, verse 2. That's page 310, by the way, in the paperback Bible, reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of, the fo of fools pour out folly. God, we ask that you would grant to us by your spirit great wisdom in how to use our words well for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so we see here Proverbs 15, 2, the mouths of fools. You see a contrast, and this is very common in the Proverbs, um, where the first line says one thing and the second line says something in contrast, and that's what we have here, a contrast between the wise and the foolish. So we might ask, what, what is the fool? What qualifies as a fool? Um, clearly the fool is someone who's not like the wise. Uh, the fool is somebody who lacks wisdom. Uh, but remember what I just said, wisdom is not the same as knowledge. So when we say a fool lacks wisdom, we're not saying that a fool lacks knowledge necessarily. The category of the fool is not a, a mental thing. It's not a question of intelligence. The category of fool in the Bible is a spiritual category. It's, it's a moral category. There are plenty of people who don't have much knowledge and might be limited in their intellectual capabilities who are nonetheless very wise people. And there are people who are brilliant and they know lots of stuff, and they have a steel trap mind, and they have many degrees to their name, but they're fools because of the way they live their lives and because of conclusions that they have drawn about God. So what, what is a fool, or what is folly? The Proverbs will sometimes describe what the fool does as folly. The fool is somebody who is irresponsible, somebody who won't listen to correction, somebody who repeats his or her errors over and over again, someone who has no control of his or her emotions, someone who angers quickly, someone who is tempted to adultery, someone who says there is no God, the fool says in his heart there is no God. And again, throughout the Proverbs, we see that the fool is a person who uses his or her words in a destructive way. And this is a spiritual issue, friends. This isn't just a temperament issue. This is a moral issue, a spiritual issue. You know, sometimes when you go to the doctor, the doctor looks at your tongue. <laughs> because the tongue says something about your physical health. Well, the words that come off your tongue say something about your spiritual health also. Very important to examine our words and how we use them. And so... Given our current cultural climate, given the way, the temptation, the opportunity that there is there for us as God's people to use our words on social media, I'm going to present to you 10 proverbs on how to interact wisely on social media. 
So I don't know if the Proverbs would say it was wise for me to go from a three-point sermon to a ten-point sermon. I know that's a big risk, probably has some of you a little concerned, but ten-point sermon today, uh, brief points, so don't worry, ten-point sermon, ten Proverbs that speak to us about how to use our words. So let's take a look at these. You can flip through if you want, but I'll have the Proverbs up here on the screen. First one is this, use few words. Again, we're not talking just social media. Okay, if you're not on social media, you can apply it to the communication that you have with your family, your friends, and coworkers. But using few words comes from wisdom. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If you want to get into trouble when you're talking to people, particularly when you're interacting with some kind of a debate or with somebody that, who you disagree with, one of the best and surest ways for you to get into trouble is to keep talking. To write one paragraph and then another paragraph and then another paragraph and just pile on with one fact and figure after another to impress everybody with a post that is eight or nine paragraphs long. And you think that you know, you're making this big impression and all you're doing is increasing the likelihood that transgression is going to enter into your words. At the presbytery level here, when we examine men who are called to be pastors, uh, there's very common advice given to them. And that is that when you're on the floor of presbytery and people are asking you questions, keep your answers short. It's the best advice we could give. If they want more information, they'll ask for it. But the shorter answers you give, the more likely you're not going to get into trouble. And that's what Proverbs 10, 19 is telling us. Use few words, particularly on social media. Tight, concise phrases go a lot longer than long-winded replies. The second thing is this. Never insult other people. Don't resort to insults, Proverbs 11:12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Never insult. I know that when you throw out a stinging rebuke or a very clever insult, it makes you feel superior. And it feels good. But you know what? You appear inferior when you do that. People watch the language that you're using, and it seems petty, and it seems juvenile to be insulting people by using derogatory words. Now, people say never say never, but I'm saying in this case, I think never is appropriate. When you're in a conversation with somebody, particularly with whom you disagree, never resort to insults. But the second, or the, the third, it's related to the second, says this, ignore insults from others. <laughs> so now it doesn't seem quite fair, right? You can't use insults, but others can. Well, that's life in the real world, world friends. <laughs> Never uh, in, Ignore insults from others. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Even if you are very careful with your language and you never insult and you never use derogatory language, that is no guarantee that derogatory language won't be used toward you. And you might hear people implying that you're stupid implying that you're a fascist, that you're bigoted, that you're narrow-minded, that you're angry, that you're unloving, that you're full of hate, and you hear those kinds of things, the response of the fool 
is to make his displeasure known at once, immediately, to respond, to allow that insult to light a fuse so that out of your mouth comes these retaliations. The wise person says, what insult? What insult? The prudent ignores it, ignores it, just acts like he doesn't hear it and moves on to the next thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is easy, but that's what the Proverbs tells us comes from wisdom. The fool retaliates with further insults. Four, be slow to anger, okay? Some of these are kind of overlapping, pretty similar. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So here it is, you're in a debate, you're arguing with somebody, you have a difference of opinion, and you're thinking, I need to win this. I need to conquer this person. I, I need to defeat this person, right? That, that's the, the thinking in your mind as you're going through this, but really the thing that you need to defeat is your temper. That's your enemy in that moment. The person's not your enemy, your temper is. The one who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. There's that word again. It's foolish to respond at once. It's foolish to be overcome by your anger. It's foolish to not have control over your emotions. Now, of course, there is such a thing called righteous anger. There is such a thing, and there is a time where it is appropriate to be angry. In fact, there is a time when if you're not angry, you're doing something wrong. You should be angry in the face of wickedness and evil. But anger, self, uh, righteous anger is not the same as hasty temper. And I would just encourage you to examine yourselves and with the power of the Holy Spirit, allow him to lead you to discern whether your outbursts are the result of righteous anger or a hasty temper. There's a fine line between the two, but a difference for sure. Be slow to anger. Uh, fifth thing, answer softly. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I would say probably nine out of ten times when there is a dialogue of this sort, the thing that causes the discussion to deteriorate is not necessarily the sharing of information, but rather a curt, condescending, cutting, cold remark that is anything but soft. And it might not even be in, insulting. You might not even be using any names, but it's a cutting remark. It's the opposite of being soft. And what that does is it causes the person's spirit to begin to shut down. It creates in that person an animosity against you because they don't like how they've just been treated by you. And this has nothing to do with the content of what you're discussing. They want to be treated respectfully and kindly, and the curt response begins to shut them down, wound their heart, a fire begins building, a fire of anger and animosity. A soft answer is like taking a bucket of water and just pouring it right on that fire. It just extinguishes it, it diffuses it. A soft answer, a gentle answer goes a long way and turning away wrath. And again, it's just so easy, particularly on social media, to send out these curt, cutting remarks. You wouldn't say those things if you had to look the person in the eye. But protected behind the screen of your computer, you can say things that are very cutting. And you feel like you're getting away with it. 
but the person on the other end is hurt and wounded. Six, sleep on it. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. This one, I think, applies a little more specifically to social media situations. Because, again, when you're in a discussion with somebody and you have come up with this clever rebuttal that you know is going to humble this person and end the discussion and everyone's going to rally around you as the victor and you know that this is it. You want to send it right now. You want to hit that send button. But what the Proverbs is saying is ponder how you're going to answer. Think about it. How about go to bed, sleep, and wake up in the morning and then review it then. Facebook will still be there. And it's 2.2 billion users. They'll still be there in the morning. Sleep on it. At least take a walk. Go out and get away from it for a while and, and come back to it. I mean, sometimes I see these posts on Facebook. They're littered with spelling errors. And I'm kind of a grammar prude anyway. But what that tells me when there's spelling errors is you didn't even review that post. You didn't even look at what you said. If you did, you would have caught those spelling errors, but you also would have noticed that maybe there are some things there that you shouldn't be saying and that would have been prevented if you would have pondered your answer. Sleep on it. Seven, <clears throat> watch your tone. Similar to answer softly, but here's what Proverbs 16, 21 says. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Sweetness of speech or gracious words. Other translations say pleasant words. Again, when we think about being persuasive, we think, well, it's going to be all the information that I've gathered. It's going to be my, my clever debating skills. It, it's going to, going to be my quick wit. That's what's going to win this debate. That's what's going to persuade. What the Proverbs is saying is what might help you more is sweetness of speech, a spirit of kindness, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of humility, a spirit of love that radiates from your words. That makes people want to listen maybe more so than the information that you're sharing. Watch your tone. Eight, don't start a fight. Chapter 18, verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> yeah, some of the Proverbs are funny and I think they're intended to be. <laughs> His mouth invites a beating. Would you please beat me up? <laughs> is what the person is saying who walks into a fight. You know, maybe you're one of these people. You're on Facebook a lot. You've been in a lot of debates. You've gone back and forth with a lot of people. And you feel beaten up a little bit. You can, right? I mean, words are heavy. Words have an effect. You feel beaten up. But my question to you is, did you ask for it? Did you invite that beating? By walking into a fight that wasn't yours? Or by just starting a fight? Some people like to fight. <laughs> uh, what the proverb is telling us here is that that's foolish. The person who likes to fight is acting like a fool. 
Now, of course, there are times when we have to defend the truth, that there are, you know, the Bible calls us to do that. The Bible calls us to be diligent in defending the truth. And so there are times when we're going to have to tangle with people. That, that's true. I'm not saying we never argue or we never debate. No, no, no. I mean, we see debate going on in the scriptures all the time. It's what Paul did in the book of Acts. He went into these lecture halls and he debated. So let's debate. Let's defend the truth. But that's different than wanting a fight and then going out and wearing it as a badge of honor that you have been in all of these Facebook fights when really the reason is because you're just looking to get beat up. Don't start a fight. Nine. My clicker here is a little slow. Listen. Chapter 18, verse 13. When you're talking, going back and forth, dialoguing, arguing, debating, whatever it is, are you listening? 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. There's that word again, folly. It's foolish to want to rush in and give an answer before you have listened very carefully to what the other person is saying. And I would suggest that you're not really qualified to answer a person until you can restate that person's position in a way that is satisfactory to that person. And this is a good lesson. You say, okay, here's what I hear you saying. Are, are you saying blah, 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 blah? And if they say, yes, that is my, you got it, that's what I'm saying. Now you are prepared or qualified to respond. But until you can do that, you're not qualified because you haven't listened. Listen before you respond. We have two ears and one mouth. The last one, be willing to learn. Chapter 19, verse 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Okay, here's a startling thing that's going to shock many of you. You might be wrong. Is that possible? That you could be wrong? Listen to advice, accept instruction, have a heart that is ready to learn. You can learn from people who disagree with you. You can learn from people who have radically different views than you. In fact, you might be 80% right, but what about that other 20%? That other 20% is opportunity for you to listen to advice and accept instruction for your own benefit so that in the future you'll be wiser. It's for your benefit if you listen and learn. Be willing to learn. Be humble. Admit it when you're wrong. I, why do I just never see that on Facebook? I was wrong in that last post. <laughs> I never see anybody say that. Nobody admits it. Is, it. is it because no one is wrong? No, it's because people don't want to admit they're wrong. Do you know how endearing it is when someone admits he or she is wrong? And most people are willing to say, it's okay. Let's, let's move on. There's, that, that's part of sweetness of speech, admitting that you're wrong. Be willing to learn. So, having heard this, I mean, we could go many more. This is actually based on a blog that I wrote many years ago, and I actually had 15 things, but um, for the sake of time, I wanted to condense it. So, there are many other Proverbs that say slightly different things about this issue, but having heard this, I want to ask you this by way of application. Is there somebody that you have alienated lately on social media. Or let's just say personally, just in your day-to-day -day relationships, is there somebody that you've offended? 
Is there somebody, as a result of your interactions on Facebook, that if you saw them at Walmart, you would turn around and walk the other way? Because of an exchange you had on Facebook or Twitter. If that's a brother or sister in Christ, you need to make that right. Is there someone to whom you owe an apology for the way you've spoken? Now, you know, maybe not. I'm not saying that just because you've been in a debate, you owe someone an apology. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, it could be that you handled yourself well, and you were, you, you followed, you were slow to anger. You, you, you did sleep on it. You did watch your tone, and you didn't start the fight, and you did listen, and, and they're still mad at you. I mean, you know, there, there's a limit. The Romans says, be it as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. I mean, it could be that you've done everything you can, and it's just not going anywhere. I mean, that's possible. But it could be also that you've been curt and dismissive and angry and insulting and you haven't learned or been willing to learn and you need to make that right. There's a guy named David Powlison who said this, very often we're right about what's wrong as Christians, but we're wrong in our way of being right. And that's what these Proverbs are, are challenging us with. We're right about what's wrong. I mean, we, we, we're Christians. We have God's revealed truth. I mean, I hope this doesn't sound prideful, but Christians are right in many cases about what's wrong. I think that's true because we have God's revelation. But we're often wrong in our way of being right. So I, I know, friends, that, that this can be very convicting. <laughs> Um, you know, James says, who can tame the tongue? And the answer to that question is no one. No one can tame the tongue. We are all guilty of using our words in ways that are contrary to what we've just read here. We've all used our words in foolish ways. That applies to everyone who has ever lived except for one. There is one exception. Here's First Peter talking about Jesus, he committed no sin, and look at this, no deceit was found in his mouth. He never used his mouth or his tongue in the wrong way. Even when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he trusted that God would be his defender and didn't take it upon himself to defend himself. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And in particular, in the way that we use our words. I want to encourage you, friends, because, again, I, I know that, you know, this can be really discouraging. I, I'm sure all of us are, are, you know, find probably several of these proverbs by which we have fallen short, but I want to encourage you in this way that really the most important thing, friends, is, is not so much your words to others, although it's very important, but what's more important than your words to others is God's word to you as a Christian. And, and God's word to you is this, that he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. If you confess them to him, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's the unrighteousness from your tongue he will cleanse you from that. It's God's word that says that God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, you're justified, you're pronounced not guilty, even though you've used your tongues in such foolish ways over your life. The gospel says through faith in Christ, you're not guilty. In the gospel, friends, there is pardon for the foolish. 
I mean, Jesus came to die for fools. Isn't that good news? Jesus came to redeem, to save, to adopt into his family, and to justify the foolish. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit, that through his Spirit we might cultivate the tongue of the wise. And let that be true of us as a congregation here at New Life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of the Proverbs. Help us, Lord, to be careful with our tongues for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.